0: it must be pretty sweet to be a part of WWE, the place where wrestlers become superstars and some end up becoming genuine celebrities in their own right. But just one false move and it's game over. Wrestling history is littered with men and women who once reached the top of the mountain only to fall all the way back down. In today's list, we're looking at 10 superstars who were buried by the management thanks to their own actions. Before we start today's video, if you like this kind of content, a thumbs up and a subscribe would be much appreciated. The Ultimate Warrior nearly had it all in the late 80s and early 90s as the WWF set him up to be Hulk Hogan's successor at the top of the company. His unique persona captivated the fans and they were ready to accept him as their new superhero. At WrestleMania VI in 1990, The Ultimate Warrior beat Hulk Hogan, becoming both the WWF and the Intercontinental Champion and it seemed as though the torch had been passed. However, things were not so good behind the scenes. A month before SummerSlam in 1991, Warrior started to feel undervalued. He sent a letter to Vince McMahon outlining a series of demands. These included a request for an additional half a million dollars, an amount that he said would put him on par with Hogan. And if McMahon didn't agree to the terms, then he simply wouldn't show up for SummerSlam. McMahon agreed to the terms in order to get Warrior to appear and then after the show, he suspended him. Warrior's career in the WWF was never the same again. McMahon brought him back when he was desperate for star power in 1992 and in 1996, but the men could never see eye to eye. In 2005, WWE released The Self-Destruction of the Ultimate Warrior, a DVD documentary that absolutely eviscerated the man over the course of 95 minutes. It is the only time that a burial like this has taken place in home video format, as both superstars and legends went in front of the camera to speak about how much they hated this relic of the 1980s. Warrior himself was apparently very upset about the DVD, and no surprise, because it was absolutely brutal. In the mid-1990s, Sonny emerged as the WWF's first true diva. Initially, she managed her real-life boyfriend, Skip, aka Chris Candido, but she quickly transcended the role thanks to her stunning good looks and natural charisma. Her popularity went through the roof and she was even named AOL's most downloaded woman of 1996. Sonny was on the verge of becoming a mainstream celebrity as she appeared on MTV and Entertainment Tonight and the WWF gave her more and more to do on their own TV shows too. She became guest referee for certain matches and she hosted Live Wire and Shotgun Saturday Night. But all was not well backstage. Fame was quickly going to the 22-year-old's head. Sonny was cheating on boyfriend Chris Candido with multiple wrestlers backstage including Shawn Michaels and she was falling deep into substance abuse issues. But despite multiple warnings to clean up her act, Sonny didn't listen. And so in mid-1997, the WWF started to diminish her roles within the company. She was given less and less to do, and then they sent her out on loan to ECW for a few months. When she returned to the Federation in 1998, she'd been replaced by Sable, who had become the company's new number one woman. But not only did the company replace her with a newer model, after a few months, they decided to just fire her. Triple H was steadily climbing the ranks of the WWF in the mid-1990s, and more importantly, he was part of the infamous Click backstage. The Click was a real-life backstage gang of troublemakers, including Shawn Michaels, Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, Sean Waltman, and Triple H himself. The clique were known for influencing Vince McMahon and dominating backstage politics. That was until Nash and Hall decided to leave the WWF to sign with WCW. A match at Madison Square Garden would be the last time the men would ever be together and so they decided to break character and have a big group hug. This act came to be known as the Curtain call and it annoyed a lot of the other wrestlers backstage as it supposedly exposed the scripted nature of wrestling because some of the guys were heels and some of the guys were babyfaces. As a result of the curtain call, Vince McMahon felt that someone had to be punished. McMahon couldn't punish Hall or Nash as they were off to WCW and Sean Waltman, wasn't involved in the curtain call, so he couldn't take the blame either. Shawn Michaels was the WWF champion and McMahon's golden child, so he got away scot-free too, and so it fell to Triple H to bend over, so to speak. He was expected to win the King of the Ring tournament that year and receive a hefty push, but both of those were swiftly cancelled. His promising career took a massive step backwards for a few months anyway, before long the whole Curtain Call incident was forgotten and Triple H got back on the road to becoming the King of Kings. Mr. Kennedy emerged as a standout talent with a unique blend of charisma and in-ringability back in 2005. To begin with, people really were talking about him as the future of the business with expectations of him becoming the company's number one heel. That idea was cemented further when he won the Money in the Bank briefcase at WrestleMania 23, and it seemed only a matter of time before he cashed in to become the WWE Champion. Kennedy's downfall began with a series of setbacks, both personally and professionally. His career was marred by injuries to start with and that slowed his momentum right down. However, the critical point came in 2007 when Kennedy was suspended as part of WWE's signature pharmacy scandal which implicated him in the purchase of performance-enhancing drugs. And so, Kennedy's last high-profile feud was with Shawn Michaels and then it was all downhill from there as WWE buried him in the mid-card where he was forced to wrestle the likes of Snitsky and Mike Knox. The final nail in the coffin came when Randy Orton complained to WWE management that Kennedy was reckless in the ring. Apparently, Kennedy did a belly-to-back suplex on Orton but something went wrong with Orton claiming that he landed badly on his neck. According to Kennedy himself, Orton then got John Cena to complain about him too, and so Vince McMahon eventually decided to just fire him. In 2004, WWE introduced the Million Dollar Tough Enough competition for a chance to become a WWE superstar with a million dollar contract. There was a lot of excitement around one of the competitors named Daniel Puder, Puder had an MMA background and was fairly charismatic and he stood out amongst the crowd. On an episode of Smackdown in November, Kurt Angle issued an open challenge to the cast of Tough Enough to try and take him down. Puder was one of the guys that answered that call. The segment was totally unscripted. The belief was that Angle would be easily able to dispatch the Tough Enough contestants without even breaking a sweat. As the men grappled. Backstage, everyone realised that Angle was in trouble, and the referee was instructed to end the match as quickly as possible. However, it was clear that Angle was just moments away from tapping out and being humiliated on WWE TV. Under usual circumstances, WWE would have buried Puder there and then. However, the entire tough enough competition was legitimate. When it came to the end of the competition, the fans voted via the website for the winner to be Daniel Puder. Puder would go on to face backstage resentment following the incident with Kurt Angle, and apparently he had an attitude problem. And so his only significant moment on the roster was in the Royal Rumble, where he got his ass handed to him by various veterans during the match and then WWE released him, clearly showing that winning Tough Enough means absolutely nothing. Jeff Jarrett was known in the WWF for his annoying country singer gimmick and for being a solid mid-card heel back in the mid-90s. However, Jeff Jarrett's career trajectory took a dramatic turn in 1999. His contract with the WWF had expired, and Jarrett was slated to lose the Intercontinental title to China at the No Mercy pay-per-view. So Jarrett decided to hold Vince McMahon up for more money in order to perform. McMahon was forced to pay Jarrett a fairly large sum of cash, and then Jarrett went off to WCW. That was all fine and dandy for Jarrett, until McMahon purchased WCW a couple of years later, during the historic Raw and Nitro simulcast, McMahon explicitly fired Jarrett on live TV. Capital G, double O, double N, double E, gone, burying him in front of millions of people worldwide. In the early 80s, Wendy Richter emerged as a trailblazing figure in women's wrestling. She played a pivotal role in the WWF's Rock and Wrestling Connection, a period that saw wrestling mix with mainstream pop culture and she was often seen side by side with Cindy Lauper. Her most famous feud was with the fabulous Moolah and she got a huge victory over her in 1984 in a match broadcast on MTV. However, things quickly changed for Richter in 1985. She made it clear that she wasn't being paid what she was worth, especially in comparison to the men on the roster. Tensions rose between Richter and the WWF management. These tensions came to a head in what is now known as the original screw job. She lost her championship in a match against a masked wrestler called the Spider, who was later revealed to be the fabulous Moolah. The referee counted to three, despite Richter kicking out at one. After losing the title, Richter's career in the WWF rapidly declined. She left the company shortly after the incident, and so the woman who was tipped to be the female version of Hulk Hogan was erased from WWE history for almost three decades. Terry Taylor's wrestling career was doing pretty well before he joined the WWF. He'd found success in various regional promotions and gained recognition as a talented mid-carder with real potential. And everyone thought that the WWF would turn him into a real superstar. However, nobody could have predicted the gimmick that Vince McMahon was about to slap on him. The Red Rooster involved Taylor sporting a red streak in his hair and mimicking the movements and sounds of a rooster. It was possibly the worst gimmick in the history of the business. Allegedly, Taylor was given the gimmick because he was seen as a stooge, also known as someone with a big mouth around management backstage. The gimmick of the Red Rooster became a defining and limiting aspect of Taylor's career in the WWF, and he never managed to overcome it. If anyone proved that Vince McMahon is a cruel, vindictive individual, then it's Zack Ryder. Ryder joined WWE in 2007 and found some success in a tag team with Kurt Hawkins. Before he began floundering around the lower mid card for a couple of years, it looked like Ryder was never going to be able to get above the lower mid card. Ryder himself knew that WWE weren't going to push him, and so he tried to get himself over with the fans. In 2011, he started a YouTube web series called Z True Long Island Story. The series took off in a big way, and he grew his fan base massively, without any help from WWE. This popularity transferred to live events where fans started chanting his name and wearing his merchandise. And for a short time, it seemed like Vince McMahon was a part of the Ryder Revolution too. Ryder started getting a push and he won the US Championship at the end of 2011. Then he mixed things up with John Cena on TV and even got a shot at the WWE title. But then everything changed. It seemed that McMahon had changed his mind as Ryder headed all the way down to Burial Town. He lost the US title and then had his on-screen girlfriend stolen from him by John Cena and who can forget them putting him in a wheelchair only for Kane to brutally wheel him off the stage. So why did this burial happen? Well, apparently, McMahon resented Ryder for getting himself over organically with the fans. Rob Van Dam was a standout performer in WWE. He gained significant acclaim in ECW before making a huge impact in WWE amongst the fans, who loved his easygoing charm and high-flying moveset. His popularity peaked in 2006 when he became both the WWE and ECW World Heavyweight Champion at the same time. WWE had recently revived the ECW brand and Van Damme was going to be the star player. But it was just a matter of days after beating John Cena at One Night Stand in 2006 that he and Sabu were arrested for possession of marijuana. This came at a time when WWE was under scrutiny regarding the conduct of their wrestlers and so they took swift action when it came to burying RVD. He lost the WWE Championship to Edge and the ECW Championship to The Big Show in rapid succession and then they suspended him for 30 days. RVD ended up leaving the company in 2007 and despite numerous comebacks since, he never reached the top of the mountain ever again.